Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, Merry Christmas. That's what Santa says. What? You need to eat all those latkes? That's what Hanukkah Harry says. Hanukkah Harry. Yes, it's December and the holiday season is upon us. Oh, what do you want for Hanukkah, Rob? Well, Kevin, I want more folks to contribute to our Patreon. What do you want for Christmas, buddy? I was going to see the Angel Cast recording, but um, I guess I'll see the exact same thing, Rob. How dare you? You'll never get it. Maybe someone out there will get us that gift. How would they do that, Kevin? Well, our generous holiday elves should head on over to Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And then search for Behind the Curtain Broadway's Living Legends. And then you can set up a monthly donation. Even a dollar a month helps us out. Your contributions help us continue doing what we are doing. We are self-funded, so we need your help. Have another PBS tote bag. And for Hanukkah, feel free to contribute eight times a month. Okay, Rob, now you're pushing it. That's, okay, you're right. I get right. it. I see what you did there. Okay. But, Have a safe, healthy, and happy holidays, and head over to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and leave a nice little gift for your two Broadway-loving elves. <laughs> you liked that lie, didn't I you? Did, actually. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain, and make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And follow us on Instagram at Broadway Curtain Podcast. Plus, you can always listen to our podcasts on Broadway World and Stitcher. A renaissance man of the theater who has worked with some of Broadway's greatest legends over a 40-plus year career in the industry. <laughs> actor, director, writer, what hasn't he done? Right, and as an actor, you might have seen him in the 19th 78 revival of Hello Dolly, or the original La Caja Fall, The Grand Tour, and Evita. As a director, he directed B. Arthur's one-woman show, Rob, as excited. well as Bette Miller's Divine Miss Millennium Tour, which I saw, which was absolutely incredible. Uh, and as a writer, there was the brilliant When Pigs Fly, which might be making a return soon. Also, Hey Love and Pete and Keeley. And be still Kevin's heart, he got his equity card at the Kenley Players doing yes! Seesaw with our former guest, Lucy Arnaz. So to tell us what it was like working with such legends as Jerry Herman, B. Arthur, Bette Midler, Hal Prince, Carol Channing, our podcast mascot, Leroy Reams, here is one of the busiest men in show business, the wonderful Mr. Mark Waldrop. Wow, thank you. Thank oh, you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, I, we should probably start with the Kenley Players. Yeah, I mean, let, if you say the word Kenley, I, I'm like, yes. Tell us about that experience, Mark. Well, it was... Very lucky for me. I, I had come to New York. I had finished my first year in New York uh -huh. without an equity card. Uh -huh. I, was, I was very unhappy not to have an equity card. 
You and felt like everyone else was like doing oh, stuff, and you God, were like, "All these people that couldn't yeah. hold a candle to me were yeah, going yeah. into these auditions, and I couldn't get into." Sure. And uh, I was actually—it was the end of the first year—and I was really thinking about uh, going back to Cincinnati, where I'd gone to school, where they where they appreciated my yeah. talent, and uh, <laughs> just. It turned out that some people I had gone to college with were working at Kenley Players. They were down to the last show of the season, which was Seesaw, and someone who was there for the season had left. So this little spot had opened up, and they contacted me and brought me in. So I, I worked at Kenley, but just for that one show. Wild. One is enough. One right. is enough to make him happy. Oh, yeah. Did you meet? Mr. Kenley. I, I didn't when I did the job, but he had come to uh, my school in okay. Cincinnati and run auditions. So I had, oh, he did. I so had he auditioned would, for him. So he would, I, this, I didn't know this, that he would, he would go to the college programs and mm-hmm. he would like scout out the talent, so he to did. speak. And then so that you would spend your summers with him as like cheap labor, I guess. You know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, they still do that. I mean, that's how I, I did that in summer yeah. stock, but not with John Kenley. And you were a CCM guy, right? I was. I was? Went to, I, well, yes, I went yeah. to CCM. And who, yeah. who else were you with? There were some other people. Uh, um, Jim Walton was the class oh. behind me, yeah. and the class behind him was Faith Prince. Yep. <laughs> and... Uh, Kim Criswell. Oh yeah, a lot. You know, a, yeah, a lot yeah. Of, it was a good. A lot of po- I mean, that was the start of sort of the college programs. I want to. I want to say. Yeah, it was you know early I mean? like, early days. Now we have those like everywhere you spit. There's one, but it. Yeah. There used to be only a couple programs that if you wanted to study musical theater, you went to like Carnegie Mellon, Northwestern, and like CCM. That's correct. That's yeah. right. Where did you grow up originally? I grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland. Oh. Hmm? And was there arts in your background growing um, up? I mean, were there show tunes playing all the time? You know, my, well, my, <laughs> my mother had cast albums. She okay. had some cast albums, and I, I think I was born pre-wired yeah. somehow. Anytime anything of the theater or musical theater came in front of me, it electrified me. Really? And so she had, she had My Fair Lady, and she had uh, Oklahoma, but she also had First impressions and Uh-hoo. and take me along Ooh. and high spirits Ooh. and of all the high spirits was my favorite. I was we have obsessed been hearing with this that. from other yeah. people too, Rob. Lately, high spirits yeah. has been making a comeback on this podcast. Yeah, well, the, I that album, I I wore it out. Yeah, really. Yeah, really? I just loved it. I don't well, know why. What was the first time you remember being on a stage? Um, well, probably. In my church, mm-hmm. uh, I was playing a, like an evil uh, Roman who was feeding the Christians <laughs> to the lions, and I got to wear a very flashy belt, which I really enjoyed. That's what I remember. I love that. Is the belt? <laughs> and you were doing stuff in high school too, I'm assuming. I did. Um, my I played a lot of straight roles in high school because my high school did not do musicals. Yeah, but um, I played like. Sheridan Whiteside and the man who came to dinner. <laughs> I played yes, father and life with father. Nice. These were the kinds of roles I played. Yes. Um, we did we did do a concert and I played El Gallo in uh, okay. the Fantastics. But by the time I was at my in my senior year of high school, I had moved away from the high school shows and I was working in a dinner theater. Oh, Ooh, tell us about this dinner theater. Well, there were a lot of dinner theaters in Maryland at yes, that time. Yeah. And this was just a one that was not too far from where I lived, and um, it was run by 
John Kinnaman and Bernie Levin. It was called Burn Bray Dinner Theater. What was Burn it Bray? Burn Bray. Mm. We did Man of La Mancha and Mame and Fiddler, and I played Rolf in The Sound of Music. There. Oh, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. That's really good. Yeah. So when were your parents supportive of you going to college for performing arts? They were. Yeah? They were. They, nice. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't fight it. But by then I was really exhibiting a lot of, you know, precocity kind of. Yeah. At it, but there was no. Hey, Mark, you probably should have a, a second major as a backup, or no. That's rare to find yeah. parents that supportive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were they were wonderful. Yeah, and and was it a big family? Did you have lots of um, I have one sister, a year younger, mm-hmm. and uh, that's, that's it. Nobody else really. Well, my sister's the choir director of her church. Oh, okay. okay, so but, arts is there. Not, yeah. not a lot of showbiz. In right. <laughs> Spice up that church show choir. <laughs> and were you, were you like, you know, because you knew it's, you know, triple threat is what you have to be in show business. Were you dancing and stuff? Like, were you well, training you know, as a dancer? I wish I had more. Um, when I was very young, there was a dance studio in our neighborhood. And yeah. a lot of the little girls I knew went there. And I wanted to go there, but they... I was discouraged. They said, don't, no, don't, don't go, don't learn dancing. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, you know, it was, it was the times, whatever. But um, I think I, I would have had a good uh, ability to do it, but then I just got so into the singing and Mm. I was like, well, I'll be a singer who moves well, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not, not realizing that that would become an endangered species just about the time I moved to New York. <laughs> That's true. Very That's true. <laughs> when was the first time you actually came to New York, whether it's a family trip or... Um, we, my family came to New York uh, at some point when I was like in junior high maybe, but we didn't see a show. Okay. But in high school, we had a class trip to New York mm-hmm. and it was by coincidence it was at the exact moment that follies was running but i didn't see follies i saw pearly <laughs> i think you're our first guest I to say pearly so too was their first broadway show that was my first broadway show how how was it you remember i, I thought it was fantastic yeah. i loved it not not regretting that you didn't see Follies. I, happy with love, the I regretted that really hard in later years. Later on, yeah, later yeah. on. Yes, of yeah. course. <laughs> okay, so then you get into CCM. Did you apply to mm-hmm. a lot of other schools nope. as well? Okay. That was it. Really? Yeah. One and done. One and done. Did you have to audition for them? I did. Yeah? Do you I remember did. what your song was? Um, I sang Try to Remember because I had played El Gallo. Of course. Yes. And uh, I did the monologue. I did El Gallo's monologue from the Fantastics. Um, yeah, I, I probably sang something else. I don't remember. What shows were you doing at CCM? Uh, at CCM, I did the Me Nobody Knows in my freshman year. Okay. And, and with a, with a uh, Spanish accent that everybody thought was really how I talked. Oh, great. So that was sort of a claim to fame for a while. <laughs> and uh, I played Bob Baker in uh, Wonderful Town. Yeah. And uh, So you're bass baritone. Yeah. Amazing. Those yeah. are rare now. Yeah, yeah really they sure rare. are. Talk about something that is an endangered species. Yeah. Um, and I played uh, uh, John Adams in 1776. That was, oh, that that was, that was my best. That's that was amazing. the best one. What was the biggest lesson you took away from your college experience? <sighs> well, just the joy of performing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was really lucky because I was... I really got to 
do a lot of performing in college yeah. Yeah. more than a lot of people got to do mm-hmm. and it it just made me so comfortable on stage and so full of joy yeah you know the yeah. act of singing was so joyful for me <laughs> Did you think in the back of your mind that directing was a viable path for you at some point? Or were you just so focused on being on stage? No, I, I was always sort of putting on shows mm-hmm. of one sort or another, you know, organizing little reviews or, or mm-hmm. um, writing special lyrics to some, you know, I wrote lyrics right. for my high school uh, talent show and I wrote lyrics for my Cub Scout puppet show. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I was always sort of on all tracks. Then when you make the move to New York after graduating, Mm -hmm. did you move up with anybody? Did you know anybody in the city? I moved up with, well, I had, um, I was partnered with a guy from high school. Oh. And we went to college together. What? Oh, that's romantic. It was great. Yeah. He's, he's still, he's still in, in the business. He, is very beloved. He's a musical director and pianist. Um, and wow. we, uh, we moved to New York together and along with some other friends that we knew from doing wagon wheel. Um, oh, the yeah. old wagon wheel. Yep. So in your summers off, you were doing the stock and I was yeah. like it, at wagon wheel. I played Jesus in Godspell, mm-hmm. although they had to change the keys. Uh, <laughs> low Jesus. Yeah, low that Jesus. was low Jesus. Low yeah. Jesus. Uh, but I played Frederick in Little Night Music. Mm. Jim Walton played Henrik. <laughs> What, what? I love. I just like that he's like literally the dad. That's like yeah. and then I like, know. So, well, like but you can see where this is going because yeah. when I moved to New York, yeah, I was ill prepared to be what I was. Yeah, right. yeah, and that was a big period of adjustment because I was like, well, I'm an, I'm a mature leading man, and right. then I show up in New York and I'm 22 years old, and uh, no, I wasn't. Yeah. And yet, you know. in the regions or in Summerstock, yeah, you well, can play those because yeah, that's what you, you know, do on Summerstock. Yeah, I mean, if, like, if the it, oldest person in the in the room is twenty three, right. yeah, you're, I'm I'm right. your guy. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> Madam Armfeld, here I come. Yeah, but still, yeah, no, that's and, and I think a lot of to this day, a lot of students have that issue sometimes, yeah. especially mm-hmm. uh, young character actors mm-hmm. that that were they're so used to playing this one type in school, they graduate, they come to New York. That's not the way the business is, and you're told you have to wait a little bit. You have to wait that's, a little bit. You have right, to wait yeah. a little bit. So yeah, yeah, and I remember you saying earlier in the interview that that was maybe a little tough time that that transition. It, it was. It was hard for me, and I really I had gotten so comfortable in college, just like I had a reputation. I, yeah, you know, I yeah. didn't have to like prove myself. Sure. And when I came to New York, and all of a sudden it was like, yeah, who are yeah, you next? Yeah. I, it really like pulled the rug out from under wow. me for a while. Yeah. What advice would you give somebody that's currently in that position? Because there are so many people like that that are cast older because yeah. they look older or seem older and then have to yeah. wait years and years. For... Well, I, I would, you know, I wish someone had advised me to, to say, it's all very well and good that you can play Frederick and Little Night Music, but you have to figure out what you can play mm-hmm. and you have to you know, in the real world. Yeah. Right. And you have to devise some material that will show that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you got to New York in the, the mid to late seventies. Is that correct? Um, 76, 76. Okay. So mm-hmm. what was it like making the rounds in 1976 as opposed to 2018 when we're recording this? Um, well, it was, you got, you got the trades, you got backstage and you circled the, things you might be right for and you uh, would go and 
wait in line and you know it was it was hard it was different you would you, sometimes you would audition in in the broadway theaters yeah yeah we love doing those yeah yeah that's and well, today people can't believe that but that's yeah. the way it was and when you were making the rounds did you have a go-to audition song uh, old man river okay you bass baritone yeah that was my river. song okay. i know okay little white Five foot eight, 135 pound. Thank you. Old Man River Boy. Thank you. That was me. Old Man River Boy. Yeah. I love it. Um, yeah, Old. it was. And the thing is, those were the songs I, those were yeah. my go-to songs. Old Man River, because it showed my, the last 16 bars were my full range. Yep. Uh, and I used to sing in college, Bessie was my woman now, and, yep. and I got plenty of nothing. Yeah, and nobody, wow. nobody said Perhaps this isn't appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> no, nobody suggested that. Nobody even like thought it. No, it was yeah. just a yeah. different time, I yeah, guess. Yeah. yeah. How does your first Broadway show come to you? Well, there's there's a story. Part of my uh, the climax, you might say, of my terrible first year in New York, without an equity card. I was working at Great Adventure Amusement Park. Okay. That was the job I could get. Okay. And it was a commute, and it was this little thing called the Riverboat Ragtime Review outside five times a day, something like that. It was a, you know, it was, it was yeah. not a great job. Yeah. Um, but my partner, who was a pianist who was very successful right away, as opposed to me, um, he had been contacted about the possibility of conducting a... Uh, the Carol Channing revival of Hello Dolly. Oh my gosh. And he was working at Chorus Line and he didn't want the job. But on this long ride out to Great Adventure Amusement Park, you would just talk about whatever had happened in the day. So I told this story and the guy who was our uh, substitute pianist on the Riverboat Ragtime Review said, please see if you can ask your friend if they, if he can put a word in for me and get me seen. Oh, wow. And that substitute pianist was Jack Everly. Oh, my gosh. Yep. What? Because everybody has to start somewhere. Of course. And, and so all those things came to pass, and Jack Everly got the job conducting Hello, Dolly. And it's almost similar to, the, to how I got my card at Kenley. Yeah. Uh, uh, like six months later... Um, a, a someone had to leave the show. It was a bass baritone, and Jack um, had me called in, and I auditioned, and I got the job. Oh, it, that's amazing! It, it, it's wild. Like, it's a little, you a little karmic. Done, it's it's yeah. sort of, if one Karma. were to believe in that, I mean, it yeah. really is like yeah, you, you got yourself the job, really. <laughs> in a way, yeah, it's like like to me. Do, do, do good for people, do and good it, it will for come back to you in this business. Yes. So, what's it like being on a Broadway stage with the Carol Channing? Well, it was a dream come true for me. I just, yeah. I soaked it up. I was, really? I stood in the wings and just watched her. What is it about her that makes her so special for, for those who never got to see her on stage doing it live? Well, I think, especially at this time, she was, she was really still at full power. Oh, peak, yeah. Yeah. And she, she was just, I knew that she was a throwback to vaudeville. Mm. Mm-hmm. She was like something, she was performing in a style that was almost a lost art. Mm. Yes. And, and um, 
was huge. It was so big, and yet it was fully supported mm-hmm. and yeah. magical. And who was the Vandegelder? Was it Eddie Bracken? It was Eddie it Bracken. Was Eddie Bracken. Yeah. And he was fantastic as well. He was a, he was a great foil for her. Mm. So how does the Grand Tour come into your orbit? Well, Jerry Herman had met me during yeah. Hello Dolly, and and he, I remember we were at one uh, rehearsal, like a, a, a chorus rehearsal, and we were all singing at the top of our lungs, and he came and sat next to me and sort of stuck his ear in front of me and was mm. like, wow, you've got some low notes. And uh, so he liked me, mm-hmm. and you know, in a chorus, I, I could be like, a cute chorus boy who wasn't a big, totally a big yeah. schlub singing yeah. the low notes. So I was useful in that way, I guess. Yeah. Um, what was the grand tour about? Yeah, it was based on uh, a play by S. N. Berman called Yakubovsky and the Colonel, about a uh, a Jewish refugee fleeing the Nazis, who uh, by happenstance has to team up with a, a Polish colonel who's very big and grand. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's the premise. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was a, there was a movie of it with Danny Kaye yeah. uh, at some point. And you played the palace? Yes. It's a, it's a, is it an intimate story to be in the palace theater? Well, they or made no? it, it was a big story. You know, it was a full okay. big show with a chorus and um, lots of scenic yeah, yeah. changes. The star Joel... Joel, Joel, Gray, Joel Gray, right? Yeah. Joel Gray and uh, Ron Holgate played oh, the Colonel. Oh, the wonderful Ron, Ron Holgate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And Flo Lacey was the female lead. Yeah. Who had who just done, done Dolly, Dolly with. with. Yeah. yeah. Right. D- um, did you think it was going to be a hit? Did you think it was going to be a success? Well, you go into it thinking that, you know, yeah. and, and to me, it was very exciting because it was a new musical. Yes. And, and I was starting on the ground floor. Yeah. Right? I, I was mean, so interested in the. The process of it, yeah, you know? of everything. I'm assuming of everything. Yeah. yeah, you know, every day we would get new uh, script pages from from Michael Stewart and Mark mm. Bramble, oh. and uh, it was they were you know it was like wet clay. They were yeah. really molding it. In fact, I recently was cleaning out a storage unit, and and way at the bottom was a box that had my script from the Grand Tour, and it was like thick as a Manhattan phone book. <laughs> And what were tryouts like for this? Um, lots of changes. Yeah. Um, I, do, I, I have one story about the Grand Tour on the road that I think is like the quintessential out-of-town story. Please. The, <laughs> there, one of the problems, I think, with the show was that it was one of those musicals where everything in the musical reminds you of a different musical. <laughs> like there was, yeah, you know, it was, it was yeah. Nazis uh, fleeing the Nazis. And the, like, for instance, there was a scene uh, at a Jewish wedding. I played the groom in the wedding. And they, uh, I was at the beginning of the scene, I was up on a chair hanging crepe paper and I kept getting the note. Can you show more tension as you hang the crepe paper? And I was like, I couldn't quite figure out how to Boy. convey that. But, but in any case, it's this Jewish wedding, and the Nazis come in and break up the wedding, and it's exactly like Fiddler on the, the Roof. roof yeah. Right. But so we're out of town <laughs> at the Curran, and changes are going in, and uh, one day, there was a number uh, called Kiss, 
Kiss the World Goodbye, I think it was called. And it was, um, it took place in a whorehouse and the, all the ladies in the show were dressed like, you know, in like 30s lingerie, very slutty, very, you know, sexy. Mm-hmm. And there were Nazis in the scene and the, the action in the scene was that they were, the, the whores were passing around the secret plans that the Nazis were trying to get and always just doing a backbend and passing it to the next girl mm-hmm. just as the Nazi came around to find. So that was the storytelling of that number. And so one day, uh, the ladies of the ensemble are called in in the morning. So I came in in the afternoon. And what I saw on the stage was that all these women that had been whores the night before are wearing nun habits and trooping around the Stop stage, they're being taught a Stop new song. <laughs> they're, they're walking in formation around the stage. The set, um, they have taken the bead curtains out of the doors and hung crucifixes over the oh doors. And um, Ming Cho Lee, who was the set designer. The great, I mean. The great, Ming yeah. Cho Lee himself was up on a ladder. The centerpiece of the backdrop was a big oil painting of an orgy. And he was literally painting wings on the nudes <laughs> and clouds. That's a great story. And turning it into I an mean, adoration of the Madonna. Wow, like they're like really didn't know which direction to go on that no, one. No, so we went from cabaret I mean, to like what? Sound of Music. Yeah. Because this is your first musical from the ground up, you said you really were like a sponge. Did you hang around rehearsals even when you weren't called? Did you try to eavesdrop in to hear why changes were being made? Yeah, well, as much as I could. Yeah. I wasn't really privy to much yeah, of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Wally Harper was our musical director. Oh, the great Wally and Harper. And he, he and I became very good friends, and he... He taught me how to do cryptic crosswords, which I thank him for to this day. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, but anyway, he, I, I did, I, all I can say is I kept my eyes and ears open. Yeah. You know, as much as I possibly could, because I felt like it was such a learning opportunity. Yeah. How long did you run for? How long did the show run for? Um, I think maybe it ran for like nine months oh, or something. Right. Or maybe it didn't run. After it, you know, it opened to sort of like mild reviews. Right. Yeah. And then they, they took it out on the road post-Broadway. Oh. Or they took it to Chicago at mm. least. But by then I had gotten a Vita. So I left. That. I, left. I didn't t- do the post-Broadway. So you got a Vita while you were still running in Grand Tour. Mm-hmm. That's nice. It was nice. Yeah, I, I, mean, like, I, really, hopped, like when the, I hopped from show to show yeah. for about 10 years, which was... God, what a you know, what and, a and you were, dream you come said, true. Yeah, yeah, and you were like maybe not a dancer, dancer. So right. you were had to get these the singing track, yeah. you know, yes. this or track. We I don't even know if we use that word then, but the, the roles that yes. were for singers, which yes. you did. So then you moved into Avita. Uh huh. Okay. So what's that like? Well, that was, you know, after a show that was only marginally successful, yeah. it was thrilling right. to go into a show then. It was it was like preordained to be a smash. How did they know? How did people because of Lon- because of London because of London because of London. I mean, so yeah, like, everybody knew, and the album right. was out, the concept album, and I guess the London album too. Mm. So so that was you know really exciting, really exciting to work with Hal Prince. Yeah. What's it like being in a room with Hal Prince? Awesome, you know. For those of us who have never had the joy, it's just like a a god of the theater, yeah. you know, and. 
so so smart and so you know i tried to soak up whatever i could from him and mm -hmm. it, he's uh, the, what i took away from avita was was the, the importance of variety mm. and the importance of surprise that I, I think I heard him say at one point he just never wanted the audience to know what was coming next. Huh. And that's such a good rule to live by. Yeah. You know, it's mm -hmm. like to just keep surprising them. Don't let them anticipate where, or if they do anticipate, then do something else. Right. Interesting. Really, really interesting. And then how do you keep yourself grounded when you're in this huge juggernaut? Yeah. Well, you were the, you were the toast of Broadway, your whole company. Was. Yeah. yeah, it really was. It was, well, you know, you get, maybe you get a little jaded, you get a little spoiled. <laughs> but um, around this time, because I was in Avita for four years. Oh, yeah, my. You, yeah. Yeah. So, I, and I did have creative juices, but I wasn't the kind of person who was like, okay, how quick can I get out of this and move on to the next thing? Because I'm on a fast track. I, yeah. I was like, I was so happy to be in a hit yeah. show. I was so yeah. happy to walk through that stage door eight times a week. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I just settled Enjoyed in it. and yeah. made great friends and had a ball yeah. and, and loved being on in a Broadway hit. Yeah. And uh, but on the side, I started to direct uh, acts for people because ah. acts were so acts popular, right? Were huge it, yeah. at that moment. What were some of the venues that these acts would go into? Yeah. Well, the first. The first one I directed was for Terry Klausner, okay. who was yes. our, our matinee Ava, yeah. and who I had also known before I even moved to New York, so, so we were great pals. Yeah. Um, and she put on a show at um, the grand finale, and Terry did, a, did an act with a full band and two backup dancers, and like it, it was reviewed in the Times. It got a rave in the Times. Oh, my God. Wow. Um, at the, uh, Hal Prince came to the opening up there. Mandy was at the opening. You know, <laughs> it was like, it was yeah. a big deal. It was fantastic. But we love hearing about these venues that are no longer with us. And, that, and that this we, idea that you, yeah. you would do your shows and then there was this whole other nightlife scene. Yeah. You know, that I'm sure there was some version of that with Broadway kids these days, but it doesn't involve having a, a, an not, act and a show and going to see more show tunes, you know? And, yeah, and, and, yeah. You know, it's, it doesn't, it's not yeah, like that. It, it, was, it was like not uncool to go. Hey, podcast listeners, are you looking for a place to rehearse in New York City that is clean, spacious, and most importantly, affordable? Come check out Shetler Studios and Theaters, our wonderful host for these podcasts. Shetler is centrally located on West 54th Street between Broadway and 8th Avenue, right in the heart of the theater district. Right in the heart, you'll find music, dance, and acting studios, complemented by two black box theaters and six presentation venues. The professional facilities, inspired environment, and expert industry staff combined to provide the New York artist with an unparalleled studio experience. Visit their website at shetlerstudios.com. That's S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com. Shetler Studios and Theaters is our home for recording the legends of Broadway, and we hope that you make it your artistic home too. That's Shetler, S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com. See you here. So how do you go from Evita into Lacage? Um, that I just... Auditioned. I had been in Evita a, a long time, and it right. was time to. It was winding down. It was yeah. time to get the next thing, and here comes my friend Jerry Herman with a big new show, and yeah. I auditioned for it and got it. 
And what was this process like? Because I mean, we've, you know, it was a revolutionary musical at the time. Yes. Was there any hesitation about going into a musical that was going to be a same-sex love story? What on my part, or on just the whole creatives part? It was, you know, they were. I think they were really clever with how they did it. Mm-hmm. I think they were clever to to bring in Harvey. Yeah, because um, he was like really young and yes. really like hip and, and new. In, yeah, uh, you know, so it wasn't just like the old guys. Right. And yeah. uh, and I think they were brilliant about how they they took this gay love story and they surrounded it with the most traditional comfortable old-fashioned musical yeah yeah that that sort of was the spoonful of sugar that helped the medicine go down (laughs) and it did and it worked you know and it it was a a risky thing to do it was a a a gutsy thing to do at the time uh arthur lawrence what's it like being (laughs) in a room led by him we've heard so many stories arthur did not like me Really? Really? No, he did not. He didn't, first of all, he didn't care about the singers. He was really excited about the Cajels. The Cajels, yeah. Um, and he really didn't care about the singers. Um, we were sort of like something he was obligated to have that he wasn't interested in. Huh. Um, and again, I was, I was, very interested in the process. Here's another new musical. How are they created? These are masters. These are like masters creating a musical. And uh, so, of course, I did whatever was asked of me. I I was there 110%. If you told me to turn a double backflip, I would do the best I could right on the spot. But um, I was very... I was tracking really carefully like how the show was developing and mm-hmm. I felt we were in Boston uh, at the Colonial and I was, you know, I was going, the audience is lost at this moment. The audience doesn't understand. There, there's a beat missing here. And, and I would like go out to dinner with people in the cast and I would have that conversation with them because it was so yeah. interesting to me. But what I didn't know was some of those people went back and told Arthur what I had said. Oh, and so Arthur just thought I was like the look. This punk kid is just like, this, like you know, this uppity chorus yeah. boy, like you know. And in his defense, I will say that I have now lived with the shoe on the other foot. Mm-hmm. And when you're in the chorus of a show, you don't know what's going on <laughs> yeah. behind the scenes. You right. don't know what's being prioritized and what that everybody knows doesn't work has to stay in the show yeah. because these other three things have to be fixed right. first yeah. and you have such limited rehearsal time because of the union rules and right. you know all those things so yeah i didn't know about that i was just um, right. excited lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How long were you with Lacage for? Four and a half years. Four? I was, I was with Lacage the entire run. I was going to say, did you stay till, you stayed till closing? I did. Yeah. The whole run. And it was so much fun. Yeah. There was so much creativity yeah. behind the scenes. And it was, the people were, it was like going to a party every night. Yeah. I remember the first performance in Boston being up in the dressing room. I was constant. I was always like doing full makeup changes between every scene. So I was always in the dressing room. Mm-hmm. But he, after four years in Evita, to hear an audience scream with laughter mm. was just like, oh, what a sound, oh. you know? Because this is the time of HIV and AIDS. Mm-hmm. Like, th- that affected business, I'm assuming, or no, not so much? You know, I've been asked that question before. I was never aware of it affecting business in New York. And, mm. and perhaps it did, but I, I wasn't aware of it. it. But I think it affected business on the road. Okay. Oh, okay. I believe it did. Yeah. And what about like, uh, you know, cast members, you mm-hmm. know, of these shows, you'd see Chorus Boys just kind of yeah. dropping like uh, a lot. I mean, was that, is that as, as much as we read about it, is that, was that how it was? I mean, was it really like so-and-so sick, so-and-so sick? And yes. Just like, yes, it was. Because I feel like I, we don't want to ever forget that. I think that it's important yeah. that the next generation appreciates that. We, have, we lost a whole generation of directors, writers, composers. Yes. You know, dancers. And yes. this art form that's handed down. It's like a like a missing link there. You know, yeah, people that we've lost. Yeah, we had we had people that you know we lost during the run. Yeah, yeah, and and some we lost after the run, um, including our our producer Fritz Holt, who right. who was like just one of the greatest people I ever met mm-hmm. in this business, and uh, Ted Azar, who designed the makeup for the Kajels. Yeah. Um, lost him and and several of the Kajels as well. Yeah. What happens next? Uh, I'm assuming you weren't planning for another show. Is that right? No. Um, what did I do next? I, I, I went back and worked out of town in some little theaters and I did Jacques Brel, mm. um, <laughs> nice. which I've done many times yeah. in my life. I love a good Jacques Brel. I'm not yeah. going to lie. I do like yeah. those songs. Um, yeah, I do too. Yeah. Uh, I did that and, and I had... I co-wrote a Cole Porter review called Hot and Cole, which mm-hmm. is a title I always hated <laughs> because, because there's already a red hot and coal. Right. But um, this, I was working with my friend David Armstrong up at um, Cohoe's Playhouse, which is where we did Brill. I also did um, uh, Oh Coward up there. Mm-hmm. But um, we got, he got an offer and he pulled me into it from Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park, which had scheduled a Cole Porter review, I think titled Hot and Cole. And it was like, if you can write a Cole Porter review called Hot and Cole in the next four months, uh, we will put it on. And so we did. Um, So that's how that show came about. And then I performed in that show a lot for a couple of years. 
How do you structure a review? What, what to you is the, the strengths that make a review successful? Well, I think you need a, a, a central viewpoint of some sort or some organizing factor. It could mm. just be the composer or yeah. it could be a sensibility like when yeah. pigs fly. But um, you, I think you just have to have a sense of pacing and variety and, and you know, to know, like, it's, it's like doing an act, a, yeah. a nightclub act, too. It's like, what, what's your opener? How do you end the first half if there's an intermission? What's your 11 o'clock number? What's your final number? What, you know, what's your tent pole in the yeah. first half? There's all these, like, terms yeah, you can use. Yeah. But after a while, you just sort of know, no, I need a... I need a ballad here, but now I need something that's going to have movement in it right. to wake everybody up. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's like that. Would you say that variety is the dominant theme that guides you? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We did, we did a, uh, I, the first show I did with Howard Crabtree was, and Dick Gallagher, but that the team that ended up doing uh, When Pigs Fly yeah. uh, was called What Not. And the finale of What Not was a song called Variety. <laughs> because we were we were celebrating that principle. How perfect! Right. Um, how do you and Howard Crabtree team up? Howard was in the wardrobe department at Lacage, mm-hmm. um, and he had a, a varied background. He um, he had worked as a dancer in Las Vegas. He had been a lead dancer in uh, the Toronto Ballet. Oh, jeez! So you know he he was a performer. But he was always very interested in costuming. And uh, he and Drew Geraci, who was our swing yeah. at Lacage, um, when I say it was fun to work at Lacage, there were like events on two show days. There would be like a, a drag fashion show, nice. or a, there would be a, a, you know, some kind of crazy contest. And so there was a, a talent show that they did. Uh, between shows at Lacage down in the basement. And Howard and Drew uh, created this character called the Hippovich. And it was uh, Siamese twin sisters, Linka and Ada Hippovich. And they were sort of like, they wore these sort of drindle, uh, Bavarian kind of costumes. And nice. one, one had a pigtail going out one way and one had a pigtail going out the other way and their talent was they played the accordion and really each one of them oh worked half of the accordion <laughs> this and, is genius okay oh they were geniuses genius. and um it created a sensation in the basement of the palace theater of course it did and uh so they decided they wanted to do a club act and and expand it and make it bigger mm-hmm. uh and so drew it was actually drew who suggested to howard that um, they get me to direct it. <laughs> and Howard, famously, Howard loved to tell the story. He was, he, Howard's re- response was, him, is he funny? <gasps> and because well, I was very sort of buttoned up, you know, yeah. but, but um, Drew <laughs> said, yeah, he's funny. So, so that was, became a collaboration and we created this act called Howard and Drew Meet the Invisible Man. <laughs> and, um, it was a little variety show, but there was a sort of a serialized story in mm-hmm. it uh, based on characters that Howard and Drew had created about the Invisible Man. Howard was the Invisible Man, and he was all wrapped up as an Invisible Man is. Mm-hmm. And 
and Drew was the Invisible Man's mother, and she was all wrapped up, but like in a Nancy Reagan suit. <laughs> and, and the story was about, the story, it was actually a pretty clever, involved story, but the crisis was that the Invisible Man had to tell his secret to his mother, which is that under his bandages, he was not invisible. Oh. And, and the ending of it was she, she came on stage and she was always just like, no, put that back on. No, you're invisible. And, and, and uh, the climax was she found a, a bandage and she like pulled the bandage and pulled the bandage, pulled the bandage. And at the end of it was a note oh. just saying, I have to, I'm leaving. Oh. I have to leave. And it was, it was a little coming out story. Yeah. And it was, it was very sweet. Then Howard and I, uh, did a show called What Not, mm-hmm. which ran at the, at the York Theater. Oh, it did. Yeah. Um, and it, it actually won the Richard Rogers Production Award. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Um, and so it, it was an experiment. It was a show built around costumes. It was all quick change. We had uh, Jennifer Smith was in it, mm-hmm. and Howard performed in it, and um, a wonderful singer named Mark Lazor. And that was the show where we found John Tracy Egan, Oh wow! Who who we worked with whenever we could in yeah. the future, I and yeah. oh, I just love him. He's so funny. Um, but so it was four people playing like you know sixty parts, mm-hmm. lots of quick change, lots of you know, and and it was structurally unconventional. That it 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 was it was the kind of thing where there's a scene it's a small town called whatnot springs and there's a an event going on there's a bake sale and uh someone has rice crispy squares at the bake sale and someone goes oh shoo shoo there's a fly on that thing and like the next number would be the fly uh-huh. on the rice crispy square <laughs> um nice yeah I it, like was, it. it was like that yeah it it it, it was um exoriated in the press there. i like it they did not go for it at all <laughs> How dare they? Behind they the times, they did not like it. But anyway, um, I was, I was sort of mortified after that experience, and and Howard, God bless him, was not one to be mortified, and he was just like, well, all right, now we spent a lot of time working on that, now we're going to do one that we can do very quickly, and he booked us into the duplex, and he said oh. we're going to do another show, we're going to do another show, and the name of that show was When Pigs Fly, wow. although it's not the one we ended up doing. Yeah. Right? Um, and I performed in that and John Tracy Egan and Howard mm-hmm. and, uh, and th- it was better. It was, it, there was, you know, I, I would start, I was, it was on that show that I started writing, okay. uh, lyrics and, um, and sketches. Had you always wanted to be a writer or was, did this come out of necessity? Well, I think I had always wanted to, I mean, we were working with Dick Gallagher and, and on, on whatnot, Dick wrote the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Dick wrote the music and the lyrics, right. but I was sort of feeling this thing, and I was like, "Can I write some? Can I write these lyrics?" And Dick was like, "Sure, I'll okay. be happy to collaborate with you." Wow. So, so we some really good numbers mm-hmm. uh, were in that show, and some funny sketches. Uh, but that ended, and I was like, "Well, okay, that was better, but it still didn't, you know, <laughs> change the world." Right. Um, and at that point, I was going through a breakup, and I was turning 40, and I was just like, everything was happening. Um, and so I wanted to get out of Dodge, and I went and worked on a cruise ship for a few months. But 
these other folks had seen this show at the duplex and they approached Howard um, and said, we want to, we want to do a show with yeah. you. Uh, and that's what was whoop de doo Oh, and okay. and so people generally think I directed whoop de doo and I did not. Yeah. Um, I did. Con- they took a lot of material that we had used at the duplex and put it in, and then added other material. And they asked me to write a couple of other numbers, which I did. But I was literally on a boat out of the country when that show opened, huh. and I really had no idea wow. that that it was doing well. I actually, it was on the QE two, and and I ran into somebody on the deck one night and, and was talking to them and they had seen the show what? and they were like, Oh, it's really funny. It's a big success. I'm just like, I didn't know. Wow. I, I had no idea. Oh my goodness. That's cool. Wild. I think that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that show ran for nine months uh-huh. yeah. and it won a drama desk yep. award and you know, and it was, it was really funny, mm-hmm. really funny. And, uh, but Howard, when it was over, said, okay, that was great. I had all these, all these partners, all these collaborators said, now you and I, we're going to do a show. Okay. Because, I don't know, I wasn't, I wasn't there, I wasn't backstage, but I think there was a little tension sure, among yeah. the creatives. There's a, a lot of cooks in the it kitchen. It was a lot yeah. of cooks. Yeah. Yeah. And it was right about this time that, that Howard told me he was HIV positive. Oh, shit. And I was... You know, even if I was inclined to say, you know what, we've done, we tried it, we did it. But I was like, of course I will, Howard. Yeah. Of course we'll, we'll do this together. And I didn't really, when we started, I really didn't think we would really finish it. Yeah. But I, I was like, sure, yes, yeah. of course, we'll do it. So we, we did it. We put it together. But it was very, you know, Howard, the intention was that Howard would star in When Pigs Fly as he had in whoop de doo but at a certain point in the genesis of the show in the in the in its creation it became clear that howard was not going to be able to star in the show okay because of his health or just because it was too much because of his health because of his health and uh he did he he finished it but he he died about Maybe six weeks before we opened. So he didn't get to see the uh, any kind he, of he never saw it. run through or final. No, he never did. He wow. never saw it. Is that part of the reason why it's not just when pigs fly, but it's Howard Crabtree's yeah. when pigs fly? Well, was there something there? He he wanted it to be Howard Crabtree's when pigs fly, and I sure. we you know we had a discussion at one point, and I was like, well, why can't it be Howard Crabtree and Mark Waldrop's when pigs fly? Right. <laughs> yes. And and uh, he said you're going to get to do a lot more shows. And I was like, touche. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Howard Crabtree's no when more. pigs fly. That's yeah. it. Yep. Great. And I, I've never regretted that. No way. That's um, you know, it's he. He wanted to be remembered. Yeah. He wanted to leave yeah. leave a, 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 an imprint. You yeah. know. Tell us, it was supposed to come back to New York. Is that correct? To co- just I feel I feel like Oof. less than a year ago. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, we had done the a bunch of the cast members had approached me. Uh, about doing a, a 20th anniversary oh, the original reunion, the original cast members. And I was, um, I just knew that it would take so much work to make it what I would want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I was prevailed upon and, um, and I was, it was, I'm telling you, the, we did two nights. The first night sold out so fast we added a second night. 
and the whole original cast came back. We did it at 54 Below and um, had some great sort of video components that showed the, the original costumes. And um, it was, I'm, they were like the two greatest nights of my life, mm. those nights. They were, there was so much love. People loved the show so much. People came from across the country wow. to be there and told us how much the show meant to them. And um, if I yeah. may, because some people might not be familiar with what this show is is about, and could you mm-hmm. say what the themes are, or what is, or what what could an audience get out of it that did get out of it? You know, what 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 what, what was it to them? Well, it was you know, here's the thing, it opened in I think '96, mm-hmm. uh, and it was just at the cusp of this huge amount of change in terms of gay visibility and gay acceptance. But it was before Ellen came out. It was Mm -hmm. before Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, before Will and Grace, before RuPaul's Drag Race, before Love, Simon. It was was really a different world at that moment. I mean, there there had been Torch Song Trilogy. There had been Angels in America. But it was... Very serious. Very... very, Yeah. yeah. I mean... Yeah. This, you know, and this... It, it was a show about being gay or that celebrated a gay sensibility that where it wasn't a problem and where um, there was really no mention even of AIDS mm-hmm. in the show. Uh, like one lyric in one song alluded to it, mm-hmm. but it was not the subject of the show. It was not about that. The subject yeah. of the show was, is there anything greater than a bunch of guys who have the same sense of humor and love musical theater and traditional camp and and it's a celebration of that and it's you know it's my heart on a silver platter really and a lot of people like when we were working on this revival oh yes thank you Sorry. um yeah. when we were working on the revival uh Many of the costumes had been completed when the plug got pulled. Many were still in process. And we knew we had to sort of deliver some of the big costume moments in this benefit. And so people had to come in and stitch and finish these costumes. And some people were so generous. And they came in, this one guy came in, and he was like, you know, finishing up some of the costumes. Uh, And he said, when I first came to New York, I saw Howard Crabtree's When Pigs Fly, and it's what made me decide to go into this business. Oh, wow. Oh, that's beautiful. It's like you don't even know those stories. Either. No. So when you hear it, it's just it's, so I mean, special. It's, people love this show. Yeah, they do. It is, it is beloved. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was... Anyway, what happened was uh, we had this producer who had approached me about doing a revival and I was very skeptical I was I thought you know maybe it's of its time maybe it's not maybe it's gonna feel dated Mm. Um, so much has happened since then Uh, and so I put him off but I invited him to sort of come and hang out during the the uh, reunion and he did and the reaction to the reunion really convinced me that Mm. we could we could make a comeback we could do it Mm. again uh, with just some updates, just mm-hmm. just yeah. some changes, but but keeping the the heart of the show Spirit, the same, yeah. uh, and so we I gave it the green light and and we 
you know, started casting and got our, our crew together. And we got Bob Mackey yeah. to agree to do the costumes. Uh, not shabby. Yeah. yeah he, I'm sure Howard's happy about that. Howard, <laughs> Howard had three, uh, three people he emulated, three people he wanted to be. Walt Disney, Jim Henson, and Bob Mackey. Oh, that's brilliant. I mean, and, that's like... And, um, and Bob had seen the original and was a big fan of the original. And um, mm-hmm. when I wrote to Danny Gates saying that Bob Mackie was going to do these costumes, he wrote me back and said, Howard is turning cartwheels in heaven. <laughs> but um, unfortunately, the producer had, had gone in undercapitalized and he thought he had more money in the pipeline but they had to redo the budget numbers because the only theater we could get was stage 42 mm-hmm. where every every show dies and i think when the people that had pledged money and then when they went after new people people were interested people came to see the run-throughs in the rehearsal room and they were enthusiastic and then they got the offering papers and they said no oh so that was it they just they ran out of money and we were going into tech rehearsals when they did the the scenery was in the air the lights were hung we we were just about ready to go in with the actors and so it was was very sad no those kinds of things yeah never easy so the um the Actors Fund, like, was sensational. Mm-hmm. And um, everyone connected with the show is devoted to it, including mm-hmm. all the actors, including Bob Mackey, including the music department. Everyone loves the show. Yeah. yeah. So we are currently, you know, trying to bring it back. Those costumes but, have been stored. Right, good, no, it's good. still all there. They're there. Made. There's, you know, and... Good. And the misfortune of the show last year, in a way, is the good fortune of creating a reboot because that money has been spent and that money doesn't have to be paid back. Yeah. Yes, yeah. you're right. Because it's a loss. It's, right. it's, no, a, it's like abandoned property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just picked up the finale costumes from, uh, from a one of the design studios oh. where, that had been holding them for a year oh. and took them, they're very big, uh, and moved them out to my house over the weekend. Good. So now I see them every day, Ooh. so they are breathing down my neck, good. literally. It's good to have a physical reminder. Yes, it is. It is. In addition to the reviews and stuff that you do, you've also worked with some amazing artists in, in solo acts, people like B. Arthur and mm-hmm. Ben Midler. How, how did that... How in the world did that come into your orbit? Yeah. Well... Bet um, has worked for decades with a wonderful designer named Bob DeMora. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, like, like the image of her, like uh, in King Kong's hand. Yeah, yes. yeah. Bob DeMora did that. Oh my God. Um, and Bob came to see When Pigs Fly and loved it and made her come see it. Huh. And she loved it. And. Um, Sometime thereafter, a few couple months maybe, I got a message saying Bette Midler would like to meet with you. That's okay. a message. That's a message we all yes. would would love to get. Put it on my calendar. Yeah. <laughs> so she, um, so the meeting was to be at Joe Allen, 
And I thought, okay, well, I'll go, and she'll have a posse with her, and it'll be a whole thing. Yes. But I got there, and she wasn't there yet, and I said to the, to the host, I'm, um, I'm meeting Pat Midler here. <laughs> and uh, yes. showed me to a corner table, yeah. and a few minutes later, she came in all by herself, and just sat down, and we talked for about two hours. Oh, my gosh. And it was very easy to talk to her, mm. and she was just great. Yeah. And um, so at the, end of the, at the end of the meeting, she said, well, I'm doing a show uh, tonight up at the Marriott Marquis. Do you want to come up and direct it a little bit? <laughs> I know. I know it was crazy. Like, how do you even respond? So I mean... we went up to the Marriott Marquis, and there's her band, and there's the Harlettes, who all seemed very glad to see me. And um, so I think they were all they needed wanting somebody, to... yeah. somebody else. And so I, you know, I made a couple of very mild suggestions mm-hmm. about things. I what was I going to do? Right. But um, and yet, those kind of like your audition, it was it was sort really. of my audition. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But um, so that seemed to go well. Yeah. And then I had a series of meetings with her where I went to her apartment and met with Bob Demora and mm-hmm. her. And she was, you know, she was looking for a, a new director. Yeah. And, uh, and then I got the job. Wow. Well, now I have to ask about B. Arthur. How does that come into your orbit? I had worked with Daryl and Jordan Roth uh, on a couple of things. And they were producing this... Um, be Arthur mm-hmm. and uh, her one woman show and it was it was trying out it was traveling around little venues around the country so um, I drove up to uh, I don't know upstate somewhere some somewhere outside of the city I forget where with with Daryl and Jordan and we saw the show um, and it was there were problems with the show it wasn't structured right um, she she was singing these songs and she was opening with her lamb recipe and you know, th- these funny things that were really, really funny, but she, she wasn't talking about the golden girls at all. And the audience was writhing in their seats yeah. because that's what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I could see, I could see a lot of things that just were like easy fixes really. And, uh, so I, I went backstage and met, B and Billy, and then they set up a meeting for us here in the city, and I went and talked with them and um, told them my ideas, and I got the job. And uh, so they were touring. Uh, I think I joined them in North Carolina. The thing was I was going on the road with them to work on the show, and I had been given my marching orders, which were to get more comedy songs in. And uh, just generally, you know, fix the spine Spruce of the show. Up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, so I, I had done my research and I looked at what B had done in the past, and I went there and I had my meeting with B and Billy. Uh, and what I thought she should add to the show was a number called "Garbage," which um, she had introduced in like the shoestring review or something like <laughs> yes, that. Yes, totally. And um, I had actually heard this number performed. I'd seen it performed by people um, at auditions or in, on their right. school boards or something. <laughs> um, and it was a funny song. It's a Sheldon Harnick lyric. Yeah. It's funny. 
Um, and so that was, that was one of the things I was like, you should sing this song. And B was like, no, that is a terrible song. It's a terrible song. I was like, it's not terrible. I've, I've heard it performed. It gets big laughs. It's a funny song. She was like, no. And she would sort of look at Billy and like, write. It's a terrible song. And so there was a whole backstory with this song with her and, and Billy. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I had to, it was, she's formidable. Yeah. As you yeah. can, as you can tell. But, but I really, you know, I had to say, look, I'm not here to just not change the show. Right. Yes, and everything. I'm, I, I'm here with a, with a job, and we, you know, I think we should at least try it. Anyway, I, I really, like, you did. leaned in kind of hard and said, there's, I think you need to try it because I think it's really funny. I think there's a reason for you to sing it. I think it would be great. Mm -hmm. So what I came to... <laughs> what I came to figure out afterwards was that Billy had told her it was a bad song yes. mm. and I was attacking Billy mm. and she was fiercely protective yes. of the people she loved mm. and she loved Billy mm. so she hated me she hated me she thought I was horrible um, but I had a job to do yeah and, and really, technically, you were working for the Roths. Yeah. Really. I yes, I wasn't. She didn't hire yeah, me. Yeah. Right. You were there to make sure that, that show stayed open. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I started, wow. you know, I started watching the shows and giving her notes, and she would take the notes. Okay. She was very professional, and um, and the notes we're working okay and you know after a couple of days billy and i had totally made up we were fine billy was like yeah oh well we had a little fight who cares mm -hmm. that that just makes you better friends yeah. um but she was not <laughs> no way she was not that's so typical of men so, too men are like eh, yeah, fight fight and it's yeah, like all right let's yeah yeah fight. yeah, yeah no. she so she it went it went for a week or two that she was very frosty to me wow. but um but she could, you know, after there was some, there was a point where she, she sort of looked at me sidewise and said, you're very smart. <laughs> and I was like, okay, thank you. Um, and, uh, and so then she was so, she was such a pro. I could give her like a list of 10 notes and then I would go out and watch the show, and she would be like, bing, bing, like Annie Oakley, yeah, picking wow, tin yeah. cans off a fence, you know, just wow. boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom. And, uh, and we ended up liking each other very well. What's next for you, Mark? Well, I am, I am actively working on this When Pigs Fly Great. reboot. Good. Are you still doing stuff with uh, Deborah Grace Weiner? Yes. Yeah. yeah, we're doing a lot of things together right yeah. now, actually, because she has, she has moved on from the Y, where I, yep. did, right. I did like... 16 shows them, yeah. with her there. Yeah. Um, I like her work. Her oh, she's, she's great. And she's, a, a lot she's a great, great friend. Who's my friend who went and helped me move those big finale pieces? Deborah Grace See? Weiner. What a sweetheart. What a Friends. pal. She's a pal. You did uh, Baby Dream Your Dream. Was that you? Yes. That was great. It's a great show, isn't it? Yeah, but you directed it really beautifully. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. That was really good. Yeah, and, and we've got another one that's running... Uh, down, uh, 
downstairs in the wonderful new theater at Birdland. I don't know if you've seen it. No. It's a, I just it's, went there. It's a lovely. great space. Really lovely. The big New York City songbook, it's called. Oh, great. Which is based on the New York show that we did at the Wise. Sort yeah. of, yeah. Okay. But re- it's a great little show. Great. And we just premiered one called... Um, Feeling Wicked, which is uh, the the magical side of the American Songbook. Oh, yeah. um, oh. which also went really well. That's which I think done. that one will be at uh, Fifty Four Below. Great. this coming season. Awesome. So we're very we're cranking them out. Yeah, you are. You're working hard. Yeah. You're always yeah. working yeah. hard. They're good. Yeah, and thanks for taking time out oh. to come visit with oh, us my today. God. And talking bi- about myself so I much. I love it. I love it. And a big thanks to John who helped facilitate this. John Weiner and yeah. I and yes, John Weiner, my dear friend who plays Jean-Michel in the original Lacage. He's the one who told me I needed to start listening to your oh, podcast. Oh, thank you, John. Yeah, and, thanks uh, John. He is he is a great pal. I, he's we've been friends for well over 40 years. Yeah. Those are special friends. Yes, they are. Talented, talented as well. well. So glad. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you so much once again. So keep an eye out for Mark's name. You're going to see it everywhere, yes. I feel. <laughs> yeah, keep an eye out for When Pigs Fly coming back because it's coming. Right. Yes, and as soon as it gets announced and all that fun stuff, let us know and we'll promote it like crazy on here. Fantastic. And we'll be the first two to buy tickets. That's right. Fantastic. All right, till next time. Bye, everybody. Right. Bye. Today's episode was recorded at Shetler Studios on 244 West 54th Street. Visit Shetler Studios to book your room today, and you could be as cool as us. That's S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com. And a big thanks to our sound editor, Daniel Schwartzberg, and social media manager, Bethany Ann Selecki. And friends, don't forget, we want more folks to hear these incredible stories, and that's where you guys can come in and help us out. Yes, in order for people to find out about us, we need lots of ratings on iTunes. The more ratings, the more they'll come up in searches. So head on over to iTunes, search for Behind the Curtain Broadway's Living Legends, click on our logo, click on ratings and reviews, then write a review and leave us five stars and make us feel as special as Eliza Doolittle on Eliza Doolittle Day. Or you can leave us one star and make us feel as bad as Annie did in that weird production in Boston where Annie dreamed about being adopted and then ended the show back in the orphanage. True story, Rob was there. I saw it. So head on over to iTunes and make us feel even more special than we already do. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.